to a close here. We've been uh, addressing this songbook of the Bible. If you're brand new to the scriptures, this would have been what Jesus prayed. This was the liturgy of the temple, the readings and the songs. Some of these are sung, some of these are read, some of these we actually don't know much about, whether they were read or sung. Some we know a lot of details about the backstories, some we don't actually know much at all. Often we know the authors, sometimes uh, throughout history, authors have been attributed to certain psalms. But what we do know is that they seem to hit the breadth of human emotion. We've talked a lot about this, right? Something about going through the psalms and reading the psalms, you find yourself regularly. You find it in like the hyperbole of, I hope my enemies are eaten by jackals, or maybe it's not hyperbole. And just really hope that they, someone will be eaten by jackals. You find the peace. We opened our time with a prayer saying, be still and know that I am God. Right, you could just, the, that exercise we did is from the Franciscan tradition today, sort of an updated version of that. Of just, you can just hang on one verse. That's a part of a larger psalm, which is a part of one of the larger books in the scriptures. But just hanging on psalm, be still and know that I, the Psalms help ground us. The Psalms slow us down. The Psalms turn into pop songs. You have Psalms where the repeated refrain, right? We talked about this one. one of the, this phrase comes up over and over in the Psalms, but there's one, 126, where it just gets repeated over and over and over and over and over. Your love endures forever because your love endures forever. The guy's just rattling things off, Right? It's like a good like early 90s, late 80s hip hop song. It's like call and response, call and response, call and response. You can just see like the hype crew in front of whoever, like David's like announcing all these things. You did this and you see the guys behind them just going, because you love it, right? It's like, put your hands up. There's a joy and, a, and a, like a lightheartedness to some of the Psalms. And then there is lament and doubt and questions. Where are you? Where were you when that happened? I don't know what to do with this, this, or that. There's entitlement, God, you better be on our side this time because I did a good job. And then there's grace. God, would you remember your covenant? That's where we're gonna end today. Will you remember, God, in spite of everything we've done, would you remember what you, what, what, What's happened? Would you remember your forgiveness? This psalm reminded me um, of the great, um, one of the most brilliant artists of our day. A phenomenal pop artist. She just like moves you. It's just his poetry rivals, you know, that of T.S. Eliot. You can already tell by my posture, I'm gonna make a joke. Justin Bieber. Is it too late now to say sorry? I won't sing the next part. Is it too late now? This song is that song. I was, I was just, this song, I'm, I'm gonna recite Justin Bieber lyrics in church. Ready? I know you know that I made those mistakes maybe once or twice. And by once or twice, I mean maybe a couple, a hundred times. Ah, oh, wow, Justin, thank you. So let me, oh, let me redeem, oh, redeem, oh, myself tonight. 
because I just need one more shot in second chances. This is the word of Justin Bieber. <laughs> Which he probably didn't even write those lyrics, let's be honest. <laughs> Computer did. Um, this is that psalm, though. It actually works. <laughs> As I've made these mistakes maybe once, actually maybe a couple hundred times, all I need is one more shot of forgiveness. Is it too late now to come before you and to be honest? If you don't remember anything else from my sermon, remember that the cry of the psalmist in this psalm that we're about to go through, it's a long psalm. We're not gonna go through every verse, but we're gonna go through the major themes of this psalm. Is that, is it, is it too late? And have we jacked this thing up too much? And the same way, right, in this song, and in thousands, I was looking up like one of the top 25 apology songs I was in tears by the end of sermon planning. You know, it's just like it's people writing about divorce and people writing about like just love that like they had had and then it fell apart and they're coming back pleading like, please, please, will you put this back together? Is there any shot? Will you remember like the vows we made and keep them even though I broke them? That's what the song, the psalm is about. I'm gonna begin though and circle back at the end to the very beginning. I'm gonna begin with verse six. This song, the writer is speaking for the people of Israel. This was the first tribe, giant step forward in human thought. This tribe was going to be a blessing to the world. That is antithetical to the whole idea of a tribe. Tribalism is about building walls. Tribalism is about us. Tribalism is about the center. When you have ever heard criticism in like politics, what's happening in our world, oftentimes people talk about tribalism. Uh, You almost never hear about it in a positive light. Our tribe, our group, our thing. This tribe, this first people, the invitation to them from the God of the universe is be a blessing for all the other tribes, exist for the benefit of everybody else. So he's talking about his people to God. We have sinned, even our ancestors did. We have done wrong and acted wickedly. And then he begins, so he sets it up and then he begins to go through the list. When our ancestors were in Egypt, they gave no thought to your miracles. They did not remember your many kindnesses and they rebelled by the sea. Yet he saved them for his name's sake. He rebuked the sea and dried it up. He led them through the depths as through the desert. He saved them from the hand of the foe and the hand of the enemy, he redeemed them. He talks about the exodus. He talks about how they continued to forget in verse 13, but they soon forgot what he had done and did not wait for his plan to unfold. That resonate with anyone? These first people did not remember. They soon forgot what he had done and did not wait for his plan to unfold. And have you ever forgotten what God's done in your life? And ever forgotten about that moment of life and love and grace and generosity? And now you find yourself in a new place and you act like that's the only reality in the world. 
It may be the only reality in your world right now, but it is not the only reality in the world. In the desert, they gave in to their cravings. So he's referring, if you're not familiar with the scriptures, he was referring to these stories, these times that these first people neglected to trust God or obey him. It says in Deuteronomy that God laid before these people the choice of life and death, choice of heaven and hell, and they continue to choose death. The story of the garden continues to repeat itself in their history. We hear about idolatry at Horeb. They made a calf and worshiped an idol cast from metal. They exchanged their glorious God for an image of a bull. They didn't want to trust God's still small voice in their life, and so they made something that would be easier to attain. They didn't trust what God said about them, and so they built something else. They actually put all of their weight into something else. We talk about idolatry. David Foster Wallace says, everybody in the trenches, no one's an atheist in the trenches, no one. You can't be an atheist in the actual trenches of life because everybody worships something, whether it's success or money or anything else. And if you don't make your ultimate ideal, whether it's Judeo-Christian values or the Wiccan mother goddess or something, even like these philosophical worldview ideas, everything else will eat you alive. In other words, eventually what you are aiming at most of your time, what your ledger is, where you're aiming at, will always eat you alive. This story is not just an ancient story about an ancient people. This is our story. They forgot. They forget. They made things that were of lesser value and ultimate value. They made lesser things an ultimate thing. So he's recounting all of these times They despised the the pleasant land. They did not believe his promise. They grumbled. They became cynical and they grumbled. They became, they didn't, they, they lost their sense of gratefulness and thankfulness. Anyone ever done that before? Anyone ever lost their sense of gratitude and you realize you're becoming more cynical than ever before? He begins to tell a story of when God was angered with them because they continued to choose death. Many times, it says in verse 43, he delivered them, but they were bent on rebellion and they wasted away in their sin. Many times he delivered them, but they were bent on rebellion and they wasted away in their sin. We get this impression sometimes if we have sort of an infantile view or a non-Christian view of God that God sits there and punishes us. Every time you read about like sort of the wrath of God when it comes to the individual, it is almost always, almost always this. It's, this is what happens. The sin ate away at them. He gave them over. This is the reality of not trusting the grace of God. This is the reality of not stepping in and obeying the life that God has for us, of not trusting Christ's way. They wasted away in their sin. They began to choose lesser things. They did not choose the love and life of God. And so he cries out. Yet he took note of their distress when he heard their cry. And for their sake, God remembered his covenant And out of his great love, he relented. He caused all who held them captive to show them mercy. And then he ends with, save us, Lord, our God, 
There's a lot going on here. There's some context. They're clearly in Babylon. There's some things that are happening in the background. The main thing I want us to zero in on this morning is this last verse. He goes through the laundry list of everything that's happened. It's the, it's the, it's the lover going, I cannot believe we've done this again. I can't believe I've hurt you again. Anyone ever hurt, like repeatedly hurt someone? Like repeatedly, like you just, you just, you continue to fail them. No one, awesome. I didn't expect people to raise their hands really in that, but I'd hoping for that one lone soul to go, yes. Sometimes we don't even realize we're doing it at first. Oftentimes, yeah, it's in the context of a relationship. I find it makes the most sense in the context of family. Any of you, the rebel child? Any of you, the prodigal son? Or any of you, you had a prodigal son in your home and you resented them greatly? Anytime you wanted to actually like cut off and pretend that 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 brother or sister was actually not a part of your family? Anytime you saw your parent, anyone ever seen their parents cry over a child who had strayed? I don't mean just like strayed from the faith. I mean like had like walked away from all things good, caught up in everything that was wrong and broken in the world. Ever seen that? Parents crying. This is a regular occurrence in my household growing up for a couple of years. It was one of the most heartbreaking things to watch my mom cry. What do we do? What do we do? Psalmist, as he's going through the story of how we've hurt our father, we've neglected God's commands, we've stepped out of the life of the ages, we have missed the boat, we have not aligned ourselves with that which is most beautiful. All the ways in different language we can put that into, it ends with, but God, would you remember? Remember your covenant. And he says, out of his great love, he relented. God remembered the covenant. So we're gonna talk about covenant for a quick minute. Some of you, we've, we've talked about this passage. There's this passage in Genesis 15. So what is God remembering? God's remembering a, co- a covenant. A covenant is just a deal. A deal. Okay? We got that? Covenant is what? A, a deal. It's an agreement. So imagine this for a moment. Uh, I had a 1984 Volkswagen Jetta Wolfsburg edition. Yeah, I don't know what that is, but I had it. I'm not a car guy. And um, it was like before there were any kind of onboard computers, like this car had an onboard computer. My uncle sold it to me like whenever, 15 years after the car had been out. I mean, the car was on its last legs. But you could push where you would normally push for like white, uh, windshield wiper fluid. You could push that button and then it would tell you the temperature outside. Yeah, I mean, there were a couple other features. I don't remember what they were, but I remember the temperature one was the only one that was like, oh, how cool is that? So I would just sit there and like, I'd be driving like, oh, I wonder what temperature it is outside. <laughs> Windshield wiper fluid, nope. And it was like a little tiny digital clock. That's what told you. Anyway, I had this car. So I remember the day we sold it, I had crashed it. Uh, I told my parents this weird story about, like, I almost got hit by an El Camino in the parking lot in front of this liquor store, and I pulled to the side, and there was those big metal rods, and I smashed the car. It was awful. I lied to my parents. Um, and, uh, and so we ended up being able to fix it up just enough to sell it to somebody, to, like, another high school kid who was going to crash it. 
And, uh, and, I th- and it, so this will help us understand what's happening when we're talking about covenants and what God's making, God making a covenant with his people and what these agreements and covenants look like in that day. So imagine, this didn't happen, but imagine at that point this high schooler and his dad came up and I was, they wanna take it for a test drive. So I say, great, here, here's the keys. So I give them the keys and they go for a drive. So I sit out on the lawn or sit on the porch. I'm waiting, waiting, waiting. It starts to get dark. It dawns on me. They're not coming back. So what do I do? Well, what would you do? Call the police. Uh, excuse me, I have a 1984 Volkswagen Jetta, Wolfsburg edition, charcoal. It's amazing. Uh, it has a giant dent in the front of the car. Uh, it's license plate, you know, one, two, three, four. Can you track it down? So the police finally, they come, they track it down. They pull the person aside. And so imagine that, you know, maybe it's the father and the, the, the son, daughter. They get out of the car and they're like, what seems to be the problem, officer? What, you, you, it appears like you stole this car. You were just giving it a test drive. And they're like, well, the guy gave, he gave us the keys. We had for a test drive. Well, I just thought he gave us the keys. We were all good to go. All right, this is like a silly situation. There's an understanding and an agreement. There's infrastructure. There's police. There's phone numbers. There's 911s to call, right? There's like titles and deeds that need to be transferred over. There's insurance that needs to be transferred over. None of this was the case in the ancient world that this psalm is written. So when it says, the psalmist says, God, we've done all this messed up stuff and you remembered the agreement that we made. What is that agreement? And what's the nature of that agreement? Now, there's a lot we could talk about, about all the aspects of what this agreement is. But one of the most uh, amazing things that ties into the very next thing the psalmist says in this text is worth noting. In Genesis, there's one of those passages that you don't usually get tattooed on your back. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. <laughs> That's like a metal song if I've ever heard one. Someone should get that image just across their back. A smoking fire pot. This is at the end of a passage about an agreement being made between a man named Abraham and God. Now, in ancient culture, when agreements are made, when covenants are made, this was typically how this would go down. You would bring, and actually, if you go back and you read the context of this passage, it it says Abraham, God tells Abraham, bring some animals. There's a dove, a ram, I think there's one more, a cow. Lay them out, cut them into, first of all, kill them. Cut them in two. And then put half the animal on one side and half the animal on the other. All right, this barbaic, awful, like sort of what on earth does this have to do with me type of story has some interesting things in it about who this God is and what it means for how we actually relate to this God. So what would happen is, is once the terms of the agreement were laid out, You would kill these animals and you would say something like this, may I become like these animals if I fail to uphold my end of the agreement, my end of the covenant. You've ever heard the phrase cut a deal? Hey, let's cut a deal. Anyone ever heard that phrase cut a deal? 
That's, this is exactly where it comes from. This is where that phrase comes from, to cut a deal. This was a normal practice in the ancient world. God makes all sorts of promises to the person, Abraham. He says, you, your descendants are gonna outnumber the stars in the sky. He's an old man and he hasn't given birth yet. And he has this faith that God's gonna do that. He says that your tribe is gonna be a blessing. Your descendants are gonna be a blessing to the world. There's language of I will never forsake you. There's language around um, this, this trusting relationship that's gonna form between God and Abraham and these future people that God is going to use to be a blessing to the world, which culminates, right, with Jesus and the church. This is this ancient story about a personal God, which is incredibly unique in the world of like human history, who's making a deep and personal covenant with someone, inviting them out of their old system, which if you know, again, anything about history of religion, Karen Armstrong, history of religion, you're like, this is a brand new idea. Think whatever you like about the Judeo-Christian values, but the reality that we have of any sort of personal God making any kind of promises is entirely in human history unique to this story. A God who comes and says, here's how we're going to live together. And you, your tribe is actually gonna be a blessing to the whole world. There's a lot more to say, but this verse says what? A smoking fire pot passes between the halves of the animals. This is after Abraham had fallen asleep. So first question I bet you're asking, what's a smoking fire pot have to do with anything? Great question, good job. The smoking fire pot is a symbol of God. That was an easy one. The answer is always God. The smoking fire pot, this is an image of God. God passes through the animals alone. Now, this is where things get so interesting. There are animals laid out and this is how everybody makes a deal in general. Okay, here's the terms of the agreement. You're gonna get the Volkswagen. Okay, I'm gonna give it over at this point is the entitlement. You know, it's like, may God have mercy on our children. May I become like one of these dead animals if I don't uphold my side of the, my, my part of the deal. Great, we're in agreement, let's do this. And you would just like, they probably didn't do this, but I just like to think of Abraham and a robe going like this. And they walk through with whoever's making the agreement. In this one, God goes through alone. The story says the presence of God goes through. God is signing both sides of the covenant. God is saying, even if you fail to uphold your part of the bargain, I got you. This is the parent saying, even if you run away, even if you want nothing to do with me and you wreck our family, I'm not going anywhere. This is the spouse that says, no matter how many times you have hurt me and hurt me and hurt me, I'm staying. Now we can put an asterisk on that, right? In our human nature, within relationships, there are points where one needs to simply like know where there's toxicity. And that's in our human self, right? We know that there's a moment where we go, oh my gosh, this relationship is unhealthy and I need to get out. But when we are talking about what's at the center of the universe, about who God actually is, this is the, one of the first images we get. 
a God who signs both sides of the agreement. Here's how we're gonna live together. Here's what life looks like. Here's what it means to be loving and generous and faithful. And God goes, even if you don't hold up your end of the bargain, my unrelenting love will be there. It's the love of a parent. It's funny, there is even imagery though about a marriage relationship in the book of Hosea. Anyone ever read through Hosea? It's an awfully alarming book if you're really honest about it. If you didn't grow up around scriptures and you read it for the first time, it's kind of like shocking because it's a whole story about the God character, Hosea, going after his wife who has cheated on him, run away, spit on him, said, I want nothing to do with you and become a prostitute. And it's a story of the husband who even buys on the, like, the prostitution block buys his lover back. These are the kinds of stories that get told over and over and over in the scriptures. It's funny when people talk about the Old Testament and like God's angry God and then God just gets really nice when Jesus comes along. Anyone ever heard that? Yeah, it's not real. Like the gracious, loving, unfailing love and forgiveness of the Father right out of the gates, the story that kickstarts history, according to the scripture, is a story of the God of the universe saying, I got you. I got you. Which brings us back to our psalm. The writer has written this song is it too late now to say sorry? I have walked away. We have walked away. This is what I love about the psalm. It claims the history of its people. We don't do that anymore, at least in our culture. We're like, no, I'm autonomous. I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything wrong. I wasn't a part of slavery. I don't privilege. What are you talking about? I mean, we could like get real, real quick here. We don't own the fact that we are a part of something even larger than ourselves, a culture, a family. We've been affected by all sorts of things, whether they are systemic brokenness or the personal things that we've done. But the psalmist claims we have missed it and we have missed it. And the big one is we forgot. We kept forgetting what you've done. We kept forgetting how loving you were. We kept forgetting that we even needed to pray, God, would you remember your covenant? I don't think God forgot. I think these first people, like us, are deeply insecure about wondering if have I gone too far? Has what this thing that I did today just pushed it way over the edge? Have I failed? Have I walked away one too many times? And is it too late? Would you remember your covenant with us. I just, when I read scripture, I cannot help but think God looks down and goes, seriously? Let's throw a party like the prodigal son story. Or maybe it's the oldest son. Everything I've ever had is yours. Seriously? How could you have forgotten How could you have forgotten? 
This past week, something happened in my life, um, and I'm gonna have to tell this story in a kind of neutered fashion, so bear with the vagueness. A friend of mine was about to lose everything, everything really physical in his life. Not a follower of Jesus, just, just have a great relationship and had a, had a conversation together. A moment of kind of despair. I don't know if you're like this with any of your friends, but they kind of know you're spiritual or you're a Christian, for those of you who are here who are, and they kind of just like in moments of crisis, they'll call you. It's a beautiful thing. It's amazing. They're like, hey, I don't know what to do, and you believe in that whole God thing, so maybe you can like throw one up to the big guy for me. I don't ever had that moment before. Yeah, so this was that moment, except with a lot of pain and tears. And so we prayed. We talked for a little bit and I said, hey, I know you, you don't really believe all this stuff, but, but I do. And so I wanna pray for you. Harper was with me, my two and a half, almost three-year-old daughter. And so I invited her to come over after I was done praying and she came over and prayed. And so she just prayed, help this person's name. And then said, thank you, Jesus, for loving us. That was it, help. The next day, Gosh, I wish I could tell you this story. <laughs> this is like mean. Everything changed. Nothing short of miraculous. Many of you know me. I'm a big cynic and doubter around most things overly miraculous. I immediately go to, well, this probably would have happened anyway. Or, you know, and I immediately tend to. It's not a great trait as a pastor. <laughs> I tend to get really, really like, hmm, let's not be too quick with the whole miraculous word. It's like the M word. Like we don't be careful with that one. There's gotta be some reason there's something going on behind this. Friends, I ask you to trust me. God intervened in one of the most incredibly poignant ways I've seen in a long time. And do you want to know my temptation a day later was to sort of just let it go. I had a conversation with this person the next day. They're like sending me like Jesus saves pictures that they found on Google. Like, they're just like, this is amazing, da, 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 da. like incredible moment. And the next day, I found myself kind of like, yeah, you know, that, it's a thing, it happens, a thing. I realized how quickly we can forget the unrelenting and beautiful and powerful love of God. How quickly we can forget that moment when God intervened. How quickly we can forget that moment where God answered our cry of peace. Because the further you get from it, the more you're like, I probably was just blank. I probably just read it wrong. I was probably too caught up in some sort of emotional response. Again, I'm speaking right now to people in the room who are followers of Jesus. There's probably just too much Mountain Dew involved. I was a kid then. I was probably being manipulated by the music. She was just really pretty, and that's the only reason why I like, felt like God did something. <laughs> I don't know what it is. But first and foremost, the invitation in this psalm is don't forget. Don't forget. We, when we repeat, it's funny, what's that old phrase about, I wrote it down, I always forget about in history. Right, we, like, we can't forget our past. 
those who forget history are bound to repeat it. Have you ever heard that phrase, those who forget history are bound to repeat it? So the, on one, the one hand, the psalmist is like, here's all the ways you messed up. But that's not really what the psalmist is asking us to remember. It's not, hey, if you remember all the ways that you're jacked up, you're probably gonna do it again. That's true. And there's lots of other things that speak to that. But this psalm, this psalm is saying, if you, like, if you don't remember how God rescued you and saved you and pulled you up and cared for you and came alongside. If you don't remember the mission and purpose that he's put before you, that he's tasted. If you don't remember the creativity he's embedded with you and that that's a gift. If you don't remember that everything you have is his anyway. If you don't remember the life and love of the ages, you are bound to repeat a cycle of cynicism and doubt which leads to sin and despair. What do we say when we come to the communion table? Do this in remembrance of me. One invitation in this psalm is don't forget. Don't forget God's faithfulness. An invitation for some of us today is to realize that you can make this mistake a billion times over in God's grace if you would come and repent and confess of your sins. God's forgiveness and grace is real and ready for you to take hold of. That there is nothing you can do that can separate you from the love of God, it says in scriptures. Nothing, not just that thing. Nothing doesn't apply to like the weak things and then there's a serious category that nothing doesn't apply to. Nothing. We preaching? Nothing. Some of us need to hear that this morning. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. You can begin in this moment to say, God, I repent and let go of my, my sin. I take hold of your grace and forgiveness and life and I begin to trust you there. I want to receive the gift that is freely given. I want to say yes to what you have done. And then for some of us who've come through the door, this invitation goes, I don't have that kind of relationship with God. I'm not sure there is a God. I'm not sure what you mean by relationship with God. I'm not sure what you mean by I can walk in the light of God. I'm not sure what you mean by I can be open to the God of the universe. I don't know what that means. Today, you can find out what that means. Like today, you cannot waste another moment and join in this story that God has been telling from the beginning of time. The story of God revealing himself to people, revealing himself to people, pulling them forward into who they were called to be, illuminating more and more of who this God is and laying before us the path of life. You can trust that you are not only made in the image of God, but trust that the God of the universe has laid down his life for you, has removed the fear of death, has put a crown on your head and called you loved and his, and begin to trust and live into that reality. Some of us need to remember 
Some of us need to trust the depth of God's forgiveness and love. And some of us need to join with this story that this psalmist is talking about. Because the psalm begins, Psalm 106, verse 1. This is how it begins. Praise the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Who can proclaim the mighty acts of the Lord or fully declare his praise? Give thanks for all that he has done. Pray with me, please. And for those who are here who can't pray, I just encourage you to be open. We speak a lot in our culture of being open-minded. I encourage you to be open-minded. Be open to the God who speaks in still small voice to us. Lord Jesus, I pray for my brothers and sisters who need to be reminded of what you have done in their life, in the lives of their friends, in the lives of history, in the lives of the saints, in the lives of those in scripture, the way in which you, Lord, have continued to come alongside and spur on and inspire and forgive and set free and the people you've used, Lord, would you, those who need a fresh dose of reality, a fresh dose of remembrance this morning, would you just, I don't know, impart that to them today? Would they be filled with a joy that comes from remembering your story? But I pray for those who feel like they are surrounded by the unforgivable sins. They are weighed down by shame, weighed down by guilt. Do, Lord, what you do best. Do what you're already doing in their life. They're here in this room like right now hearing a message about this. I'm pretty sure you're already up to it. Call them home. Lord, remind them of your love in this moment. I pray for those maybe who want to join with this story. They want to say yes to this story. It says in Romans, when we repent and believe, it means when we turn around and believe that Jesus is who he says he is, which has implications for who we are, forgiven and loved children of God, and that this Jesus is Lord of all. If there are those in this room who need this morning to say, just they want to say yes, yes to this story, would you just throw your hand up for a minute? Just like physically name it, like yes, in this moment. I want to follow Jesus. Yes to this moment. Lord, as we come to the table, heal us. Remind us of your love. Remind us of your sacrifice. In your name we pray. Amen. Jess is going to sing a song over us. You can feel free to join in. It's a song of, it's this psalm. It's a song of covenant and love and of promise. I want to invite the communion folks up to the front. 
As you feel led, you come up the center aisle and take the bread and dip it in the cup. I want to invite our prayer team to come up and be in the corner here. If there are folks, if you just need to be prayed for, maybe there's nothing aching in your heart, but you just need someone to bless you. Maybe some of you, you want to say yes to Jesus. Come and just sit down and and share with whoever's there. I could pray for you. If, If it looks full in that corner, you can just sit here in this front pew and someone will come over and pray with you. But line up in this line when you come down. For the rest of us, we come, if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, we take the bread and we dip it in the cup as a reminder of Christ's body broken and his blood poured out. What Christ has done on the cross, this is a new covenant, the new commitment that was given to us of this is what God is like and who we are. And so we as the body of Christ, we come to remember the God who broke himself open and poured himself out for the healing of our hearts, the healing of the world. And we realize and we recognize in that moment that we as a church are called to break ourselves open and pour ourselves out, the body of Christ, for the healing of our world.